So just before we begin, just want to say congratulations on the film. It's uh, very interesting for a number of reasons we'll get to throughout the interview. But um, I just want to talk about that it's rare to see an Irish filmmaker make a movie that is completely immersed in another culture, both in language and in setting. So um, I was just curious as to how you ended up making movies in Russia. Well, I studied Russian in university in Trinity College, so... Um Pretty early on, I developed an affinity with Russian culture. Uh, when I went to live there in 1993, I was, you know, young student traveling the world in search of excitement and adventure. Um, and 93 was the year in which there was a constitutional crisis, which ended up in uh, an attack on the government buildings with tanks. You, you, you probably don't remember it, but anyone my age would remember it as the biggest news story of that year. The images of tanks blowing up the Russian White House and unfortunately 400 people died. So I was there at that time and so it was quite intoxicating for me to be there, to be writing about it as a young journalist. So pretty early on, I just got really interested in Russian politics, but also just in Russian society and culture. Um, and I always look for excuses to go back there, to make a film there, to make a documentary there, to do something that could capture the spirit of the place that I had witnessed myself personally. So the genesis of the film really is in my formative experience of living there as a student and wanting to somehow capture the spirit of the place in a film, in a documentary, uh, to show to international audiences because very few people outside Russia know what it's like. You know, it's still bizarre to me to this day that you have the biggest city in Europe, the biggest country by population and landmass in Europe, but no one ever goes there, you know? And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great, attractive place to be. Because generally when you think of Moscow or Russia in films, it's a Cold War setting, historical drama, like something like Child 44, or it's terrible film, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, a detour in spy thrillers where they'll stay in the city for maybe like five or ten minutes to sort of give it yeah. a spy hat. Or Gorky Park, you know, which was yeah. all shot in um, Finland. True, true, and um, it's just uh, your movie feels unique, even though it's probably a more authentic view of the city. So, um, was that what you set out to do as you were writing the script? Like, this was always the goal to make portray it in this way. Yeah, it was. I mean. I, I wouldn't claim now that this is any more an authentic view of the city than any other film. It's just my own personal view. Um, and obviously it's authentic to me personally. Um, but I did want to show international audiences what Moscow is like um, beyond the filter of geopolitics because all the information people get about Russia is filtered through Putin, the government, human rights violations, the military vodka and bears you know so all the stereotypes are very strong in uh, narratives about Russia um, and that unfortunately leaves a huge wide you know rich culture uh, pretty much un, um, you know un, not, not shown or not revealed unrevealed to uh, international audiences and you mentioned their stereotypes and I think one of the strengths of your movie is that a lot of the characters in it are sort of archetypal Russian characters. Like there's the um, big businessman, there's the uh, babushka, 
there's the good girl and the bad girl and the hoodlum but they're they still have a lot more depth and substance than you typically would see and they feel three-dimensional was the would you agree that the film does this in a way yeah i mean that's always what you, you know if you want to try and subvert stereotypes you have to humanize archetypes mm. so um i wanted to select characters from different age groups and different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and as always with the drama you 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 have to humanize them you know they might be extremely cruel but you need to show why they're cruel to try and uh, reveal to audiences you know the humanity of that person um so yes it was always my uh, intention to you know show a wide span of russian society in uh, you know a, a few stories we should probably talk about the plot of the film which is five disparate storylines um, about people of all ages all different social strata in moscow and um, how the stories sort of interlock and interconnect in a way similar to movies like crash or shortcuts or magnolia I was just curious, was any of that wave of films, uh, sort of multiple stories, influential as you were writing the script? Yeah, they were influential. I like those films. Yeah, those, me too. those three specifically that you mentioned, Crash, Shortcuts and Magnolia. I enjoy watching those kind of movies. Uh, not so much the portmanteau style movies like New York, I Love You, or, you know, I think there's a London one as well. Um, but I want to to um, capture the spirit of a city. And I decided that a multi-narrative genre would be the right way to go about it. But I didn't want to do what Altman had done in Shortcuts, for example, where the stories are very separated. Mm -hmm. They're based on different stories by Raymond Carver that he just kind of put in together into one movie. And one character from one short story is the it's, same as another character in a short story. Yeah, exactly. And I know, like, I know that you know, it's, it's deemed to be a great masterpiece. I didn't like Shortcuts that much, actually. I thought it was a bit long and boring at, mm -hmm. at times. Um, and then in the other pull, you have a movie like Crash, which is very much focused on uh, one theme of you know, racism and xenophobia. There's quite a high degree of compression of characters and narratives. Uh, and I knew I couldn't achieve that and I didn't want to. Uh, I think probably the nearest uh, analogue to my film would be Magnolia, mm -hmm. where you have um, a series of stories that are clustered around two families. But it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like five or six separate stories, which is what I wanted. Um, so, you know, I started writing the different storylines and looked for ways to combine them, to compress different stories, different characters, so that there was an element of interwoven uh, narratives, but not too much. Yeah, because um, towards the end of the film, there is a an act in your film which is sort of similar to the Raining Frogs act in Magnolia, which sort of all the characters are sort of like gazing up into the sky. And for that reason, it just sort of hit me like, oh, it's a lot like Magnolia. And it's also set in... All One City, which is the same with Magnolia and Shortcuts. Um, I was just curious about how you managed to get the overhead shots of the city. Um, was that drones? Cause the, but the image looks so precise, though, thinking it must be cameraman. That was great fun doing, doing those shots because uh, the, the those scenes were shot three years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, drone technology had just come on stream. 
but to uh, uh, only to a small extent that when you had a drone on the street, people would come up to you and just be totally wowed. <laughs> what yeah. the hell is that? So uh, there was a brief period of a few months where the technology arrived, but uh, the police and the, the authorities had not regulated against it. So uh, we had access to a military drone uh, that was much better quality than the normal professional drones available at that time. Really? Yeah. Using war technology? It, was, it wasn't war technology. It was, uh, they were just experimenting with different true, yeah. drones in this particular military facility. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine worked there. It's a great benefit. So we kind of stole it or borrowed it for a few days. And he was really worried about using it near the Kremlin. And I was, of course, always trying to push him to take more risks because we wanted those shots in the city centre. Um, and after a few days, we got more confident about it. Like, police would come up to us and ask us, what's going on? And as soon as they saw the live feed on the handheld video, they would just, you know, their jaws would drop and just go, wow, that's amazing, and kind of join us in the fun of it. <laughs> uh, but those military drones were particularly good because they were... Um, balanced with tiny little ball bearings and they were much smoother than the professional drones available at that time. I think now the technology is probably advanced and you can probably buy a really good drone, just as good as that, uh, online. But back then you couldn't. Um, but nowadays, if you tried that, the, your drone would be shot out of the sky. In fact, <laughs> there was a German tourist who, who put up a small little drone on Red Square and it was shot. Really? Yeah, it was shot down. That's incredible. Yeah, because they don't allow helicopters in Russia, in Moscow. There's no helicopters there because I guess it's still quite a militarized society and people have a lot, a lot of people have shoulder mounted, um, you know, grenades that could um, shoot down a helicopter. So it's unusual to see that and it's very, very unusual to get that footage. That's kind of incredible in the sense that a few months before and a few months after the movie could look progressively different in the sense that you'd need there be like a different like geology and geography to the city and stuff. That's incredible. Um, one of my favorite parts of the film was um, the segment regarding the elderly celebrity who is pestered and then pretty much kidnapped by a um, group of sort of hoodlum fans. Um, it was funny because last week Justin Bieber was playing a concert here and there was a lot of think pieces being published in newspapers and blogs about people going over to him and doing the same thing. Uh, to a lesser degree, of course, but what like to kind of take him away and grabbing him and saying, "Let's yeah, go here." And like, is it the, was he kind of going along with it or something? Or no, anything? he was like wanted a space, and people okay. were going over to him, sort of expecting him to kind of engage them. Yeah, yeah. So I was just curious: was this something you'd had seen happen, considering you were in the film industry, or was it something you noticed about how society treats celebrities? Um, it's more about how society treats celebrities, but in a particularly Russian way, you know. Mm-hmm. Russian people are a bit reckless, especially young Russian men. They'd be more reckless than your average young Irish or, you know, any Western man. So that kind of story, I think, rings true, you know, Mm. that people go, let's take him somewhere, you know. I mean, it happens to me, not because I'm a celebrity, but just because I'm a foreigner. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a celebrity or anything in Russia, but, you know, if I'm out and about and I'm kind of just talking to some, especially if I'm chatting to some hoodlums, they will, they will want to take me to their party. They will want me to, sh- to show me off to their friends, their family. And just, you know, it's all in the spirit of fun. But I can imagine being in a situation where it's in the spirit of their fun. But even if I don't want to do it, they're going to make me do it, you know. Mm. So it's, um, 
it's it's not really a, a reflection of anything in society, but it's something that um, is likely to happen hmm. to a, a well-known person in Russia. I mean, you know, most people, even middle management people, they all have drivers. You know, so people have a lot of personal security. Um, they, most you know people who can, kind of, like I said, just middle management people who wouldn't earn a huge living, but they employ security guards to bring their kids to school and all that kind of thing. So celebrities are the same, you know, they don't go wandering into bars, into cafes, not because they would get attacked, but because people would want to see them and be very pushy about getting their photo with them and all that. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, speaking of celebrities, there is a large Russian cast, and some of them are quite prominent actors, for instance, uh, Alexei Saraboyakov, Sarah Brickoff. Sarah Brickoff, oh, so close with the yeah, pronunciation. <laughs> um, he recently started the vibe, um, and I was looking online that he's in a remake of House in Russia at the moment. Yeah, oh, is he? Yeah. 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 Um, what was it like to work with him? Um, and could you tell us a little bit about his character, Anton? Well, he's such a great actor. Um, you know, one of the things about working on a film like this, which is quite fluid structurally, is that it allows you to alter and change the characters as you go along a bit. Uh, so when you have great actors like Alexei starting to work with you on set, you start to realize all the benefits of his experience and his talent that he can bring to that role. So you, you start rewriting it and changing it and it evolves a bit. So my original intention for that character was that he was a bit darker. Hmm. But Alexei just instinctively humanized him more than I had envisaged. And that gave his storyline uh, more potential. So I did a few, a fair bit of rewriting on that particular story. Um, so he, he's just a great actor, you know. I mean, as a, as a person, like many great actors, especially if they've been child stars, there's, there's often kind of difficulties and challenges. But as, a, as an actor, he's, he's amazing. I mean, and every single take is very different, but each is equally good. So when you're editing with someone like him, you've got a wealth of options. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it was delightful working with him. Um, his character sort of encompasses a lot of the political... The, the movie isn't overtly political, but there is some hints of politics in it. For, he's, being, um, he's a businessman who's sort of being driven ahead by this kind of bureaucratic figures. Um, and him and his driver have a conversation where they talk about how Moscow is a prison, but we love it. And I think it's a line that speaks volumes about the kind of vibrancy of the city and the beauty, but also the... Um, political situation and corruption within the country of which Moscow is at the center. Is this how you feel about the city? I don't feel like that about the city because I'm not part of it in the same way. I'm a visitor, I'm an observer. But I like that idea because it is quite prevalent in Russian society. The idea that they suffer a lot and they've always suffered and they use humor to um, alleviate the suffering. You know, um, there's a great phrase that I didn't get into the film because it's too on the nose. But um, things are worse today than they were yesterday, but at least they're better than tomorrow. Mm. So this is just a, a phrase that kind of encapsulates Russians, you know, fatalism, their uh, acceptance of immense suffering. But in the face of it, they're funny about it, you know. And, you know, I wanted to somehow articulate that. And the nearest I got to it was that line about, 
you know, is, is, is Moscow prison, you know, it's a prison we love. So I think it is in keeping with certain kind of um, trends in Russian society, especially in the humour. Um, recently there was the Pussy Riot scandal in Russia, and also I was looking online that while you were promoting Moscow Never Sleeps on television, you were cut off for expressing solidarity to jail filmmaker Oleg Zantsov, who had a few features under his belt, I think he made a movie called Gamer. Yep. Yeah, which I, I was not the Jared Butler gamer <laughs> that I first thought of. But um, as an artist, do you find it difficult to state your opinion on societal matters while making movies in Russia? Not really. I mean, I, I was never in the position where I was given a big um, platform to state my opinion, you know. So, I mean, that was one op- opportunity to do it live on TV. And I felt the need to speak out at that point only because none of my fellow filmmakers would have been able to do that and and be on and not be punished for it you know but as a foreigner they're not going to punish me because they can't you know the worst they could do is kick me out of the country you know which would be great pr for the movie you know so <laughs> they're not going to do that so i felt strongly that i should say something about that particular filmmaker because he's a filmmaker just like me and uh you know it's very obvious that um he was tried on trumped up charges and He's now been in prison ever since. He'll be in prison for another 17 years uh, on trumped-up terrorism charges, you know. So I just felt strongly that I should say say that. Uh, Since um, the movie was made, things have gotten worse in Russia with regards to censorship because they've had a war in Ukraine and Putin has changed the government and the whole atmosphere, particularly in the media now, is a lot more fearful. There's a lot more fear-mongering and a lot more censorship. You can kind of see that in the video because the interviewers don't seem particularly shocked by your response or what you said. And then immediately you can tell that they're like, oh, we have to finish this interview, <laughs> yeah. which is unusual. Um, do you think your experience as a journalist helps you navigate that, that sort of line to help you create your art? I think it does. I, I think I, like I knew instinctively that when I said that on TV that I wouldn't be severely punished for it. And I suspect it's because of my background as a journalist and my understanding of the way government works in Russia. I, I, I kind of knew that, even though a lot of my friends you know, told me I had to leave the country, I might get arrested, you've got to be careful... You know, most of them, you know, especially the journalists, knew that there wouldn't be a big uh, comeuppance mm-hmm. for that. Um, just changing the topic of conversation, this is your second film? Yeah. Um, your first uh, feature was uh, The Weather Station? Yes. Um, was it different to sort of move from a film which uh, the first uh, film seemed like it was um, a few locations, whereas this one is like city scope? Um, was that difficult to achieve or do you think it was just like a growth of your filmmaking talent? Well, yeah, it was a growth, but um, I mean, they were both very different films. And for me, the big difference in the experience of making both of those films was that I, I was producing Moscow Never Sleeps. So while I was shooting Moscow Never Sleeps after every day's shoot, instead of doing what I should have been doing, which was, you know, preparing my shot list for the next day, I was meeting potential investors to try and get cash for the, from them to shoot the next week so it was a real um, you know fly by the seat of your pants project uh, shooting and then raising finance trying to get a bit of money here and there 
you know, we managed to get like sixty grand from Volvo to to, to use one of their cars in the in the film, and they, they were pretty upset that we didn't use it as much as we had promised. But we needed the cash so much, you know, we just kind of bulldozed our way through everything just to try and get cash and keep shooting. So that was the main difference in the experience uh, for me personally on a day-to-day basis. Um, but yeah, Weather Station was a very contained film with everything kind of planned out well in advance. You go down with the crew, you shoot for 17 days in one location, then go back to Moscow and shoot all the interiors for 17 days and that was it. But Moscow never sleeps rumbled on for a long time. We had long breaks when we ran out of money. We had to go and get more money and it was very different. You were speaking before we began recording about um, the movie's release schedule in Ireland and you were saying that 80,000 people in Ireland speak Russian. They speak Russian. Um, do you think this will help the movie? Is that enough to help um, make the movie more marketable over here? Yeah, I think so, and I hope so. Our overall plan for the film is to sell it to Netflix in the new year, probably around spring, because... Um, we have purposefully not sold VOD rights to the film in any territory other than Russia. So we want to make it an appealing project for Netflix and hope to convince them that because of the scale of the Russian diaspora around the world, that this is an attractive buy for them. So what I'm trying to do with this release in Ireland is to really get the numbers up mm-hmm. so that you know we can then present it to Netflix and say, look, small budget small market but we have good results mostly from the russian diaspora so we're, we're going to do the same in the u.s in the new year with a small release probably in about six or ten cities um, and thereafter we're, we're hopefully sell it to netflix and then that'll be its final resting place it seems like a movie that will appeal to people who have left russia and sort of feel nostalgic about their time there I think so. I mean, it's resonating really well with the Russian diaspora because they, more than anyone, suffer from this lack of understanding about what Russia is and what Russian people are like. Uh, Because they live in the West, they interact with Westerners, with Irish people, Americans, Europeans all the time, but they're interacting with people who don't know anything about where they're from. So here's a movie that's trying to kind of present that so for that reason, we're getting great response from the Russian community here in Ireland, and, and I suspect we will do in other uh, countries as well. Yeah, it seems like it's getting out there because my dad works with a lot of Ukrainians and Moldovans, and he'd heard about the film, and I, it's come up on my Facebook newsfeed, um, the Lighthouse advertising it, and I, I, so um, I think it will. Oh, that's great to know. I see, I'm not aware of all that. I mean, I hope that is the case, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that, yeah. Um, what's next? Uh, do you have any um, other film ideas that you're thinking of pursuing, or will you ever return to Ireland to make films? Or Yeah, no, I'm working on uh, two projects at the moment. One's a thriller set in the art world in America, oh, cool. and the other's a dark comedy about undertakers. <laughs> so those are the two projects I'm not sure which one will hit first but I suspect I'll be spending much of next year writing and developing and then the end, towards the end of the year I'll, I'll start shooting something I think that's right um, thank you for your time you're uh, welcome thank uh, you uh, the film is fantastic I uh, hope you have all the success with it great thanks very much thanks, thanks. thanks